a good move. Why'd you dance him? Dancing is forbidden. Running crew, welcome to Dancing is Forbidden and Aqua Teen Hunger Force Exploration. I am Ronnie, and on this podcast, I am watching through and talking about every Aqua Teen episode, one episode at a time. And the episode we are watching through and talking about this week is Season 2, Episode 11, Universal Remonster. Get me the Universal Remonster! Um, we're still, uh, shoot. We're still beta testing that. What you're testing is me and my patience. That's right. We have the Plutonians making their first appearance in season two in this. I don't want to say requested because you know that I'm going through the show chronologically, but in this anticipated episode, because a lot of listeners have told me that they love this episode and they are excited for me to cover it. And I'm excited, too, because growing up this one, I liked it enough. I liked it a lot. I'm sure, but it wasn't one of my favorites. But now that I'm a little bit older and I realize how much I absolutely love the Plutonians, I'm excited to see how I feel about it now. But of course, before we jump into the episode itself, we've got some other stuff to talk about first. First up, our Aqua Teen news this week. Now, last week we talked about how Carrie Means was hospitalized. So a little update on that. He was... You know what? Why am I explaining this? Let's hear it. From the man himself. So I got jacked by the cops to shop potato tots. My wife is button in, but she got flip flops, sandals what? on her feet. It's Frylock. <laughs> so, running crew, you who? Where's my running crew? You who? Dancing is not forbidden because Frylock says you can dance. If you wanna. Leave your cares behind, because your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, no friends of mine. No. Safety dance, Frylock style. Okay. Dancing is forbidden. Okay. Listeners, or something along those lines. Talk about how I'm doing after last week's scare. I'm alive. I'm listening to the doctors from Grady, doing what I gotta do. As far as season two of Aqua Teen goes, Universal Remonster. Get the Remonster, the remote. Yeah, that was a good episode. Some people got those t-shirts with the fake Powerpuff Girl on there because she's in the wheelchair with the Mohawk. And the Plutonians are great because that's Andy Merrill as the orange Plutonian, Oglethorpe and Emery are the Plutonians. I can't, I can't, I can't really comment that much on season two because it's way, way back in the day. There are a lot of episodes that I love and my favorite one is Super Birthday Snake, Meet Wad Wants a Pet. But instead of a bunny, he, he thinks he's going to get a bunny. Shake fixes it so a snake comes. You know that, but you know what I'm talking about. Okay, why Nathan Scott Phillips. One? Why is it my favorite one? Because Frylock gets all pimped out and says to the guy on the phone, he's, or the girl on the phone, whoever he's on the phone with, why don't you pick up a couple of bitches before I put a cigarette out in your damn eye? Yes. Of course, Frylock gets all pimped out and man, I'm sick of his crib, these stupid ass toys. Now they're all gonna have to go. There goes the neighborhood. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. You did. No, I did not. You did. So, um, I guess when you're ready to have me on your podcast, you have me on your podcast, so this is the fry man signing off. Peace, love, and fry grease, yo. 
Yes, that is the man himself, Carrie Means, voice of Frylock, giving us a little update on how he's doing and a little season two talk. Appreciate it very much. Thank you so much to Leah Means, Carrie's wife, for hooking all of this up. You heard a bit of her in that video going back and forth at the end there as Meatwad and Frylock, very, very funny, brought a smile to my face. But also, of course, thank you to the wonderful patrons who support this podcast for allowing this to happen because that way I didn't have to pay for this sort of thing out of pocket. And you know, now that the Patreon is growing a bit, I can go and do these sorts of things. So thank you guys so much. But if you would like your own Carrie Means shout out at somebody's birthday, whatever, Carrie's great to work with. Head on over to cameo.com slash means Carrie Frylock. Link to that in the show notes. And yeah, really excited to get Carrie on the podcast soon. I mean, I'm moving towards it now. I think I just need to stop being a little wussy, a little scaredy cat and just do it. You know, I, I feel like I'm probably just making excuses at this point. Again, you know, I've never interviewed anybody or anything like that. So a little bit intimidating, but Carrie's a nice guy. He's a great guy. I look forward to it. And to the patrons of this podcast, check Patreon at some point this week. You'll, you'll get a notification. I will put up the full video that Carrie sent. I had to edit it a little bit to get it work more in an audio format, but the video is actually a little bit longer, a little bit more play between him and his wife, some fun stuff. So check the Patreon for that. Because I mean, hey, you guys paid for it, so why not? In other news this week, I want to shout out the subreddit Aqua Jail, the Aqua Teen Hunger Force subreddit, because the past week on Reddit was something called Place, where every user can place a random pixel somewhere on this huge canvas every five minutes. And the idea here is subreddits will get together and say, hey, you know, for example, for Aqua Teen, we tried making all of the Aqua Teen characters in Carl somewhere on the canvas. Well, it's really difficult. It's a small subreddit, and I have to assume the bigger subreddits are using bots, multiple accounts, etc., to really just secure their masterpieces on the canvas. I know this probably sounds a little convoluted, but the long story short here is that the Aqua Jail subreddit was successful in switching gears from the Aqua Teens in Carl to a little tiny Ur, and that Ur stood the test of time. It ended up in the final canvas. So, you know, anyone, if you're interested in this kind of thing, you're probably already aware. But I just wanted to shout out those guys, especially John Tech, one of the the admins of the subreddit, because, I mean, I, I typically don't really care about this place thing. They've been doing it for a few years on Reddit. But like, hey, you know, I'm I'm really big into Aqua Teen now because of the podcast. I'll try and help out here. And I just saw firsthand how difficult it was and how quickly our design would just get overtaken by other users from other subreddits wanting to, you know, share their their subreddit information on there. So, yeah, just uh, really commendable of John Tech and the crew there. Really cool to see a little tiny er on the place canvas. Moving on to some sad but relevant news given our voice actors in this episode of Aqua Teen. Over on Twitter, Andy Merrill had this kind of heartbreaking tweet. I had to yell at somebody at work tonight. Me. Yell at somebody. At work. I hate this job. So, on Andy Merrill's Twitter, you can see a lot of the time that he is wearing some sort of reflective green vest in a lot of his pictures and stuff. I assume he works at some sort of construction job or something like that at this point. Which, yeah, that's the reality of it is... These guys, you know, Adult Swim was built on their backs, essentially. Andy Merrill, in this episode of Aqua Teen, being the voice of Oglethorpe, but also he voiced Brack in the Brack show, and he worked on Space Ghost and did a bunch of other stuff. Adult Swim was built on these guys' backs, you know, included in this would be Carrie Means, C. Martin Croker, and a lot of these guys just ended up with basically fucking nothing. So, really sad to see that. You know, I 
I, I'm really at a loss for words that it's bullshit. I mean, it's Andy fucking Merrill and he has to work this, you know, blue collar day job when this guy like he helped build Adult Swim. What the hell is that about? Now, of course, I want to caveat that by saying I don't you know, I'm, I'm not on the inside. I don't know the whole situation there, but but still not fun to see. And a reminder of why we all just, you know, need to support any way we can the things that we like, because for a lot of these types of smaller media, it really can come down to every person making a difference who supports it. And just a reminder for when the Aqua Teen film comes out, which I'm sure will cost money in some capacity, but also Aquadong side pieces, your individual support for those things will really make a big difference in terms of if we ever get more of that kind of stuff. Which, you know, the more Aqua Teen we get, the more guys like Andy Merrill, Carrie Means, etc. can get a paycheck. But all right, all right, I'll step off my soapbox here. That's enough for our news and community stuff this week. Obviously, this segment a bit longer than usual. Let's see what in the world was going on the week that Universal Remonster aired. Searching the jungle this week, trying to find an ancient relic before Christopher Walken can. All the way to the top of the box office, we have The Rundown, bringing in over $18 million this week, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Sean William Scott, and Rosario Dawson, alongside, like I said, Christopher Walken. We got a stacked action film. And I love here that we're seeing Christopher Walken after he was referenced in the episode The Meat Zone. Haven't seen this film, but I mean, I watched the trailer. It looks, you know, just what you would expect. It's probably a good time. This one with a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb and a 69% nice on Rotten Tomatoes. These are some pretty decent scores for an action flick of this nature. So if you saw it back in the day, you probably got some pretty decent memories of it. And of course, I am here to report that there is no shared cast or crew between The Rundown or Aqua Teen Hunger Force or the 2007 film. So with all of that out of the way, let's hear what our top album of the week was. That's right, we've got heartthrob John Mayer coming in with his second album, Heavier Things, selling over 316,000 copies this week alone. That is a serious number, and well-deserved. I mean, at the time, I didn't really care for John Mayer, and it's not like I really listen to him now, but the stuff I hear from him, I really like. And he's still putting out albums to this day that are doing well, and I hear him on the radio, and I like all his new songs and stuff, at least the singles that I hear. It's not really a hidden fact anymore that he's actually a really good guitar player. And looking at Rate Your Music, this album is towards the top of his discography, but it looks like the album that came out before this one and after this one are considered better over there. So, you know, use that information however you may. But yeah, John Mayer, just, you know, yet another artist I really need to spend some time with and look into his discography more. Because I'm wondering if there's a correlation between how much John Mayer you listen to and how dreamy you are. Because if that's the case, I gotta start listening fast. John Mayer's hogging all the dreaminess to himself. It's not fair. So that's it for our top Billboard album this week. What is our top song this week? Come on. 
Our Billboard Top 100 song this week is Baby Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul. And as a former baby boy myself, I am not familiar with this song, so clearly I wasn't consulted. You know, I'm curious what any other former or current day baby boys have to say about this one. I think the thing is, I just don't get Sean Paul because we had him on this podcast previously and I didn't really understand the appeal of that song I heard either. So I think it's just a me thing here. But Beyonce, of course, this is off of her album Dangerously in Love, which we already talked about on the podcast. And yeah, not, not a whole lot for me to say about this one. I wish that they asked me about using the title Baby Boy, but hey, I mean, it's out there. And, you know, I don't recall this song, but maybe you do. And I hope you like it because this is like the top song for the next two months on the podcast. So, hey, lots of baby boys floating around. Beyond that, our top alternative track this week is yet again stained so far away. And some other alternative music we can talk about is on the 23rd of this month, Limp Bizkit releases their album Results May Vary, their first album in three years, and their fourth album, overall and i've mentioned before i think that this was really the first cd that i ever got that was just mine i got it for christmas my mom got it for me she said hey i don't want to hear you repeating anything on this album but yeah she let me have it i was very grateful because they used the song on it build a bridge i think for a wrestlemania or some other event that i heard on tv and i really liked it so yeah this was really my first cd and Listening back all these years later, the album is really not that good. It really should have been a Fred Durst solo album. It's a lot of just slow songs, kind of boring songs. And I wouldn't be surprised. I didn't look, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was the worst rated Limp Bizkit album, especially because Wes Borland, their you know main composer, I assume, their guitar player, he wasn't on this one, and it shows. And looking up, just to correct myself here, it was the 2003 Survivor Series theme song that song Build a Bridge. So that would mean, I assume, that for Christmas this year, little Ron, I think nine-year-old Ron, he got a Limp Bizkit CD. Good times. Moving on to our video games, there is a handful of things coming out this week, but nothing that I'm super familiar with outside of Dance Dance Revolution Max 2, Dance Dance Revolution coming to the PS2. Now, I tried to do a little bit of research on this specific installment. It was really kind of difficult to figure out because there are so many Dance Dance Revolution games across consoles and arcades and all this stuff. So Wikipedia didn't want to tell me a whole lot, but real quick, I can just kind of talk about, I never had Dance Dance Revolution, but my cousin did. So I'd go over to his house and watch him play. He was really good. But I was not. But I, I would play with the controller. <laughs> so he'd be on the dance mat fucking jumping around and shit. I'd be sitting on the couch with the controller hitting the buttons. And that was the best I could do. I mean, you know, without owning the game, I guess it kind of makes sense that I wouldn't be super great at it. But yeah, Dance Dance Revolution, definitely a relic of the time. I don't think they really make them anymore for home consoles. Now, from what I'm seeing, it looks like they still make them for arcades. And I have to assume that these are Asian arcades because, I mean, our... Are there even arcades in the United States? I have no idea. But I know over in Asia, like Japan and stuff, they're pretty popular still is my understanding. So it makes sense. They're still doing pretty well over there making new DDR games. We're not really seeing them in the West. We have, what is it, the Just Dance games like on Switch where you hold the controller and you move your arms around and stuff. That's kind of caught on a little bit more than these games where you jump around. But I remember at the time it was kind of popular for weight loss and stuff because it gets you moving, gets you jumping. Otherwise, a couple other games coming out this week real quick are NHL 2004, Tiger Woods PGA Tour 2004, The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius Jet Fusion coming to Game Boy Advance, and Oddworld Munch's Odyssey coming to Game Boy Advance. So that's just a few things, nothing I'm super familiar with outside of DDR. 
So, all right, you're a Christopher Walken fanatic. You just had to see the rundown this week. You picked up Heavier Things by John Mayer because why wouldn't you? And you're excited to get home to jump on your little mat on the floor, play some DDR. You're tired out from all that DDR. You're jumping around way too much. You're exhausted. It's time to sit down and watch some TV. What's coming on Adult Swim tonight? We are basically getting the same exact lineup that we've been getting. We start off at 11 p.m. with The Big O. The episode is Hydra, and it is a new episode. At 11.30 p.m., we get The Brack Show with Goldfish. At 11.45 p.m., Aqua Teen with Universal Remonster. Of course, a new episode. I mean, duh, why else would we be here if it wasn't? And as always, The Big O and Aqua Teen are the only shows with new episodes tonight, so everything else is an old episode. We get C-Lab 2021 at midnight with In the Closet. 12.15 a.m. Space Ghost Coast to Coast with Freak Show. 12.30 a.m. We get home movies with Guitar Mageddon. 1 a.m. Trigun with Murder Machine. 1.30 a.m. Cowboy Bebop with Jamming with Edwards. So that is our Adult Swim lineup. Not gonna lie, I'm kind of sick of this lineup. I hope we get something new soon. But that's what it is. But the good news is we are in for a great episode of Aqua Teen. So let's go talk about it. Check it out. Check it out, y'all. Check it, check it out. Check it out. This episode of Dancing is Forbidden is brought to you by the Demon Food Store. Located in one convenient location of Meatwad's room, get all the healthy nutrition and devilish snacks your demons require. And make sure to use the promo code SPRINGBREAKCANCUN for a buy one get one free offer on any two items in our demon produce aisle. Demon Food Store, it's right behind you. This episode of Dancing is Forbidden is also, as always, brought to you by the wonderful supporters over on Patreon.com slash Dancing is Forbidden, where these Moon Masters are pledging $1, $5, $10 a month to keep this show rolling along and allowing me to do cool stuff like getting that Carrie Means cameo at the beginning of the episode. I'd like to welcome on board here, haunting the attic of the Patreon, we have Brian joining the number one in the hood G tier. Brian, coming in hot, I can't believe it. You know, it means a lot to have so many people sign up to begin with, but also to have so many people recently signing up at the number one in the hood G tier. And Brian, you rascal. Brian put us over the $100 per month mark, which is what was required for me to make a weenie smoothie and make a film about it, about making it and drinking it. So we'll do that at some point in the next month or two. Looking forward to it. Gotta know what one of these tastes like. I've talked the talk for so long. It's time to walk the walk. See if this bad boy's any good. It's probably not, but we'll find out together. So yes, look forward to that. Our next goal is only $20 away, and that goal is for me to cover Baffler Meal and put that out as a Patreon episode. So cool to see us chugging along. And yeah, just thanks everybody for supporting the show, keeping it going, allowing me to get Carrie on the show in that cameo, but also... You know, as the Patreon grows, then I can essentially not have to pick up extra shifts at work, and then I can work more on the podcast, all that good stuff. Hey, let's see what's going on with the Aqua Teens. Coming up next, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Universal Remonster premiering September 28th, 2003 with a TV-14 rating, and I assume that that is for some minor drug references in this episode alongside there being some bleeped out swear words, which, you know, we don't really get a whole lot on this show up until this point. This episode marks the first appearance of the Plutonians this season, and the last time we saw them, I think was Bad Replicant back in season one, which was episode 11 of that season, so yeah, that that was season one, episode 11, the last time we saw them, now we're in season two, episode 11. 
And of course, that just kind of plays into the concept we've talked about in previous episodes that Matt and Dave are pretty confident in the show at this point. They don't need to bring back these characters, but it's always nice when they do. You know, we had MCP Pants come back. We had the Moon Knights with a cameo. Well, now we have some season one mainstays coming back in season two, cementing the fact that they are a part of Aqua Teen. So obviously, because we have the Plutonians coming back, we have Andy Merrill himself, as discussed already, and Mike Schatz showing up for vocal duties in this episode. But we also have Carlos Turetta, who we'll get into him in a little bit. He has a very, very, very minor role in the episode. And you might be wondering who Carlos is. Well, according to IMDb, this episode of Aqua Teen and a 2001 episode of The Brack show are his only appearances on television. So we'll get more into him once he shows up in the episode. Of course, we also get uh, something of a villain in this episode. Of course, whenever we say villain here in in the context of Aqua Teen, it's always with a lot of quotations around it. But yeah, we get a new villain here, the Universal Remonster, but he doesn't talk. It, it's, a, it's a voiceless character. So with that out of the way, I think we're ready to dive into our Dr. Weird skit. It's another short one, and the gist of it is we, we open on Steve holding a taco, a hard shell taco, and then we, we zoom out and Dr. Weird calls it Taco Island, and we just see one giant taco with everything kind of falling out of it, but also a bunch of spikes with, with tacos stuck through them. It, it's supposed to be kind of tribal, I assume, so that's really all there is. It's complete total nonsense. There's no point in me explaining anymore. Let's give it a listen. Sheesh. You call this a vacation? No, I call it Taco Island! That's it. It's just complete nonsense. Obviously nothing to do with the episode. As of course we are used to at this point, but hey, it's in and it's out. Can't be mad about it. Fun little skit. I guess it's kind of cute to imagine Steve and Dr. Weird taking vacations together, a company vacation of sorts. But they don't actually go anywhere. In this vacation, Dr. Weird just puts some tacos everywhere, and that's the vacation. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Brings me to, you know, at my job, I work at Target. And, you know, instead of any actual meaningful rewards, like, I don't know, a raise, they're like, hey, pizza party or something like that. That's kind of similar here. I'm sure Dr. Weird was like, yeah, we're going to go on vacation. And then this is it. Just some tacos. That's all you get. But all right, moving on to the episode proper, I really need to point out here that this is just one of those very conversationally heavy episodes, different from last week's episode, Super Trivia, where I said it was super easy to cut that episode up for clips. This one was tough because, you know, the Plutonians especially just kind of go on. Their dialogue can stretch for so long, and it feels super improvisational to me. I doubt it completely was, but that's just how it feels like to me. I noticed the Plutonians specifically in their dialogue. It, the way I have to work with it is different than other characters. But yeah, I just want to point that out ahead of time. Also, for the Carl fans out there, no Carl in this episode, so you can click off now. I probably should have told you sooner, but yeah, you can uh, throw your phone across the room or something and take your headphones out. Anyways, moving into the episode itself, we actually don't start with the Plutonians. We start with Master Shake hitting the TV in the living room because the TV isn't working. Who's laughing now, bitch? Piece of crap cable? What are you doing? Maintenance, shut up! <laughs> no, 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 don't shake it up, let the snow settle. That way you can see the little San Francisco right now. Oh, come here! Let's see if we can see it together! <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not a snow globe, you ignoramus! How many TVs have you broken this year? A lot more than you have! I'm teaching this object a lesson. If it doesn't want to get hit anymore, it'll straighten up and fly right! Is that not right? 
so that is shaky it's just hitting the tv with what looks like a giant lead pipe or something and you heard some ruckus that is him kicking meatwad clear across the room they are of course in the living room and there is no green chair there which i love to point out when it's not because they remove it for staging purposes so they can fit all the characters in this room without it being too cramped and look at the background here if you're watching along. You'll notice that the dividers between the kitchen and the living room, none of them are broken here, but we're about to go on a wild ride on this episode because the dividers are all over the place in terms of their status. In this shot, they're not broken, but later they will be broken the way we're normally used to, but then later they'll be broken in a strange way that we see in some other episodes. It's crazy, but keep an eye on those dividers. Anyways, that last clip, it ended with Shake kicking Meatwad across the room again. So he did it twice in that clip, and Frylock is trying to figure out what's going on because the TV, all they can get on it is static. So Frylock goes to the back of the TV, and he feels the connection. Somehow, that's one of his powers. He can feel if the connection feels right or not, I guess. I'm actually surprised that they didn't use maybe like the Frydar or something for him to detect that. But yeah, he just kind of feels it with his fry. So let's take a listen and see what's going on with this TV. That's odd. The connection on the cable feels fine. Of course it does, because it's trying to trick you. You're falling <laughs> for it, but not me. Look at it. It's <laughs> laughing at us. Well, laughing at us. Let's see how funny it is when I do this. There she goes. They just needed a good ass whooping. So Shake is still hitting the TV, as you can hear, and eventually it just, like, turns on and starts working again. And it's, it's some sort of horrifying noise, like a tire screeching or something, and some gunshot noises. That's what comes on the TV. And from there, we get something a little higher concept than we're used to on Aquatine. We pan outside of the house, and we move alongside the house to see the cable wire going from the side of their house into the crawl space. And from there, we zoom into the crawl space, and now we're in it, and we see what's going on in there. So I love that they're bringing back this crawl space. This being the third time that we've seen it, the second time this season. But also, I guess it only shows up four times in the show, according to the wiki. So we'll see if that's true as we continue to watch these episodes. But I can't believe that they have this whole background that they only use four times throughout the show. But hey, that's what it says. And I just want to shout out again the whole transition from inside the Aqua Teen's living room to the crawl space. Just artier than we're used to, I guess, for this show. And probably a little bit more complex than they're used to doing for these kinds of transitions. Anyways, this transition is not done. So we go into the crawl space and then we pan to the left and we see just an interesting sight. We see some sort of circular portal. It looks to be almost Egyptian in nature. Very old looking in a way because it looks like there's hieroglyphics going around the portal. It is a brown kind of stone looking color with some red accents on it. And on the ground, we see some cable, you know, cable that would be hooked up to a TV back when that was a thing. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's kind of on its way out these days. But coming through the portal, it's a uh, blue, almost maybe kind of watery effect in the portal. Coming out are two green things that are playing with the cable and are connecting it to a cable splitter. This is something that you would use to turn one cable line into two so you could hook up two TVs. So we can see why the cable wasn't working on the TV because somebody had disconnected it to put on this cable splitter to run a line through this portal. You know, this portal is just w one of the most amazing things on Earth and that's what it's being used for. So right off the bat, this is very Aqua Teen. They're using this insane technology to steal cable. And we go into the portal, we zoom into it and we see we are on the Plutonian ship. So that was the green things sticking out of the portal. That was Emery's arms. He was doing the connecting here. So we are on the ship, and Oglethorpe is very proud and pleased that they have stolen the cable. 
We also go into this long continuing dialogue about how this is the Fargate, which is a ripoff of the Stargate, which was originally a 1994 film, which later became a series of films alongside a bunch of different TV shows and stuff based on this film. And yeah, the original film was directed and co-written by Roland Emmerich, and it starred Kurt Russell, James Spader. The plot centers on the premise of a Stargate, an ancient ring-shaped device that creates a wormhole, enabling travel to a similar device somewhere in the universe. So that makes this Aqua Teen joke to me even funnier, because on its own it's funny, but first of all, obviously there's this whole level of them ripping off the Stargate, calling it the Fargate, let alone the fact that their whole ripoff is just using this device to steal cable. I've never seen the original film or, or any of the films or television shows, but I imagine that they are a lot higher stakes, and this Stargate device is, you know, much crazier in those films than it is in this episode of Aqua Teen, where they're just running a cable line through it. Anyways, that's the setup there. This is just a Stargate ripoff, but it gets way crazier than that throughout the Aqua Teen episode, obviously. Let's take a listen. We have successfully traveled eons across both space and time through the Fargate to get free cable. I think it's a Stargate. It's the Fargate. <laughs> F. It's different from that movie, which I have never seen. So how would I copy it? Chill, man. It's all right. Let's just turn it on. I just want to make sure that we are clear it's the Fargate. Ghost Far, get it? And there's no way it came from that movie or that syndicated series based on the movie. But it sure was a good movie. Yeah, yes, it was. Turn on the TV. <laughs> Maybe it's on. So, again, I don't think that this is purely improvised. I mean, obviously, but I really have to imagine that a lot of the Plutonian scenes are Andy Merrill and Mike Schatz kind of riffing on the script back and forth because I just find their deliveries and their interactions unlike anything else in the show. Now, it's possible I'm totally wrong here, and it's like, hey, Ronnie, they were actually never in the studio at the same time together, you idiot. That is possible. I don't know. I, I will find out eventually once I can talk to somebody related here, but I would comfortably put money on the fact that they were in the studio together kind of riffing back and forth. So yeah, anyways, we get that Stargate talk, or sorry, Fargate, and just great joke there of, of Oglethorpe saying that he doesn't know what it is, but then he acknowledges that it is a film and a television series, so just some great Aqua Teen humor there. Something I want to point out here visually is that we can see the cable that is run through the Fargate up to their TV. Well, you can see it's not really plugged into anything, it just kind of ends at the TV and somehow like, alright, that's it, hooked up, there we go. Anyways, Oglethorpe says that they should turn on the TV. Maybe Stargate is out. Maybe they can watch it right now. But Emery, he doesn't have the clearance for it. We then move into some kind of slapstick humor where Oglethorpe walks up to turn on the television, but he presses the wrong button or, or, or pulls the wrong lever or whatever, and a, a laser blasts out his eyeballs. I don't have clearance for that. Yeah, it's only the inner circle of high-ranking diplomats with the security clearance get to watch the big TV. You look away. Retinal scan. On. Oh, damn it. Wrong laser. Wrong laser. Why didn't you label them? I mean, you said don't label them because it was top secret and no one was supposed to know. Well, now you label them. They're on my eyes. So that's Oglethorpe trying to use the retinal scanner there to turn the TV on. And funny joke that I never noticed until now is that Oglethorpe says, oh yeah, you look away because you can't watch the big TV. And Emery closes his eyes. It's very cute that he plays along with this. 
So going into our next clip, Emery picks up Oglethorpe's eyeballs, which are just on the ground. You know, his eyes get blasted out and we have a nice smoke effect coming out of his barren sockets at this point. But Emery picks those bad boys up. He scans them and the TV turns on and we see what Meatwad is watching down on Earth. This is some classic Aqua Teen in-universe television. It is a puppet over a green screen, basically teaching what your right and left are, like your right hand and your left hand. And it pops up on the screen saying left, right... And the puppet, he's a little white puppet with a navy and white long sleeve striped shirt with a red collar and red cuffs. And then written in red, it says Sunny Jeans. And why it says jeans, I'm not entirely sure, but the company that made these puppets was Sunny and Company Toys, Inc. So this clearly alluding to Sunny, the maker of the puppets. So yeah, this puppet is just dancing around. And like I said, it was green screened out. The background is kind of psychedelic. We get flowers floating around and just all sorts of colors and, and all this kind of stuff. So singing the song is clearly Dave Willis, you know, voice of Meatwad, voice of Carl, writer on the show, co-creator of the show. We have Dave Willis singing, this is your left, that's your left, this kind of song. And he's singing along to real stock music. The track is called On The Up, composed by Ray Russell from the album On The Up. So of course, credits to Video Killed The Radio Star on YouTube for finding that out. Link in the show notes if you want to hear just this song without Dave Willis singing over it. But this whole puppet and song and everything do come back later in the season in the episode The Cloning, where things take a darker turn. Because at the very end of this video, we don't see it in this episode, but we do see it in The Cloning. The puppet's like, this is your left, that's your left, this is your right, you're gonna die. And obviously that's like a really funny turn at the very end of this thing where it's just, you know, supposedly teaching kids their directions and then it ends with you're gonna die. And they show that in the cloning when things are kind of going awry. Obviously getting ahead of myself here because we're not talking about that episode, but we will see this again. Credited as puppeting these puppets, because there's gonna be way more puppets in this episode going forward now. We have Jay Edwards, Matt Malero, Dave Willis, and Nick Incantanuat. Nick, uh, we haven't really talked about him on the show. He's kind of all over Aqua Teen a little bit later in the show's run. He will be in this season as a voice in Revenge of the Trees, but he did some PA work on Space Ghost around this time. He was also an intern back in the 90s on Space Ghost. He went on to work on Squidbillies. He, he was all over kind of uh, Matt and Dave's stuff later on. He, he was a producer on 12 Ounce Mouse. But yeah, he kind of helped them with the puppeteering. In terms of the puppeteering, check out the Dancing is Forbidden Instagram page at Pod. Link to that in the show notes because I will be putting a lot of behind the scenes footage and photos of them doing these puppets for this episode. But all right, that's enough puppet talk for now. Let's jump into this clip. Remember, Oglethorpe has no eyes, so Emery is going to explain to him what pops up on the TV, which is a children's program. I got him. All right, it worked. Of course it worked, and it's free. <laughs> now let's have some fun watching it. Describe to me the action. Does it excite your emotions? <laughs> is it funny or is it sad? <laughs> It's funny if you like public television. Public? No! Put my eyes in so that I might furrow my brow and express the anger that I am feeling. Now change und channel! Well, that's like the one thing we can't do. But it's free, and that's cool, right? <laughs> so just totally lame. Also in the background, we do see some handicap symbols too, just floating around. Just totally absurd, but one of my favorite pieces of Aqua Teen in universe television. Anyways, Oglethorpe is not happy about what is on the television because it's public access. It is cheap local television. He doesn't want to watch that. So he's going to call in the episode's namesake, our, you know, 10,000 quotes in front of and behind this villain this episode. 
the Universal Remonster. At some point in this clip, there is a set of doors that will open, revealing the Universal Remonster. A little tiny, I guess just teddy bear. It's like the head of a teddy bear with a bunch of remotes for arms and legs and stuff. He's a little cutie pie, as Meatwad will say later. But yeah, he moves around like a little robot, and he has his mouth is made of remotes as well. He reminds me of the telephone that they have that kind of moves around in this fashion, too. It seems like they make little, little gadgets like this that can walk around, I suppose. But based on the dialogue, it appears that Oglethorpe has not seen this yet, that Emery is kind of heading this development division. Are there other people who work on this? I have no idea. It's not really explained. But Emery reveals, oh, well, we're still kind of beta testing that, but Oglethorpe wants it anyways to change the channel. And yeah, the Remonster comes out. So that's the setup. Let's give it a listen. Get me the Universal Remonster! Um, we're still, uh, we're still beta testing that. <laughs> what you're testing is me and my patients. <laughs> Get him out here now! Is this what you call a remonster? Where are his claws and his fangs? He must have giant feet and thirst for blood. And now you've ruined my vision! Yeah. What if we just, um, what if we just called him the Universal Remobot? I mean, he's, he is a robot. But Remonster is his name. It's branding. This whole monster <laughs> thing kind of feels a little tacked on, actually. I mean, the t-shirts say Universal Remonster, not Universal Piece of Crap like you say. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The, these characters are just so underappreciated in this show, I feel like. And I know they are super popular. It's not like I'm, I'm not acknowledging that. But just still, this back and forth is unlike anything that we see in the show. Mike Schatz and Andy Merrill just bringing it home on this one. They're just tacking on, well, rather Oglethorpe is tacking on the whole monster aspect because this thing isn't scary at all. It's, it's basically a teddy bear made of remotes. Mike Schatz's delivery here is just beautiful. When when Oglethorpe says, bring out the Universal Remonster, and Emery's like, oh, well, we're still, ah, shoot, we're still beta testing that. It's just so subdued. I love it so much. Just the energies between the two characters, but what the voice actors are bringing to the table, too, really just bounce off each other in such a beautiful, perfect way. Anyways, enough just praising these characters. It's revealed that Oglethorpe actually made t-shirts, and he's disappointed in what the Universal Remonster actually looks like, because it's supposed to be scary and stuff, but he's like, yeah, you know, I made t-shirts. So they're going to jump into that, and what's interesting here is that on the t-shirt is the Universal Remonster as he looks now. So Oglethorpe is like, oh, I don't like how he looks, but he made t-shirts with the character on it, so it doesn't really make sense. Maybe he just was absolutely not really involved at all in the creation of these t-shirts. Anyways, though, to describe those t-shirts really quick, they say Spring Break Cancun on them. And then we have the Universal Remonster on the left side from our view. He's holding a little drink with a, an umbrella in it, a pink umbrella in the drink. And then to, to his left, on our right, there is what looks like a Powerpuff Girl with a pink mohawk in a wheelchair, also holding a drink. So this is just so absolutely absurd. And in the background, there's a little island uh, clip art kind of thing. And I just love this so much. You can actually find find shirts like this of course they're unofficial merchandise but you can find them on like redbubble and stuff people have i assume to the best of their ability upscaled this design and thrown them on t-shirts you can buy i might have to pick one up although i've seen pictures of people on facebook with these they are a little blurry but i mean what can you expect you know this show is like 480p anyways and that's what people are ripping the design from Anyways, though, back to this Powerpuff Girl design again. It has a pink mohawk, orange eyeballs, an orange shirt, it looks like, and just normal Powerpuff Girl clothes beyond that. And then she is holding a drink with a little blue umbrella in it. It looks to be a different drink than what the Universal Remonster has. So this is just completely out there. So let's listen to Oglethorpe's explanation. 
Oh, wow, you made t-shirts. That's cool. Yeah, let me go get you one. Wow, well, <laughs> is that a Powerpuff Girl or something? No, mm. can you not see she has a mohawk and wheelchair? <laughs> We're not getting sued. I love it because we have just a stack of t-shirts now on the floor that just came out of nowhere because we've seen the floor previously and they weren't there and now suddenly they're just there. I, I just like really appreciate how the show doesn't give a fuck about continuity or anything. It's all about the jokes and, and it really just pays off. And, and that's something to me that's hard to really pull off. Off. A lot of Adult Swim shows really lose me because they are so wacky and out there that there's really not a whole lot for me to grasp onto. But in Aqua Teen, we have these just really strong, funny characters with all this absurdity built around them that they exist in. So maybe that's it for me with these other adult shows. The characters just aren't as strong or as memorable to me, so I can't really exist in that absurd world. But here, I'm totally in. Back to the Powerpuff Girls, though, I've said it on the show before, but of course we have the Powerpuff Mall, which they ripped from an episode of Powerpuff Girls, but also Dave Willis has been on the record of unironically saying that he liked the Powerpuff Girls when it was out, and he was a fan of it, and all that stuff, so just an homage to that. I love that they're just throwing the Powerpuff Girls in here, especially because it's on the same network, too, which makes it even funnier to me. Anyways, beyond all that absurdity, that silliness of these t-shirts, we did have something going on in the background, and that is the Universal Remonster. You heard him just kind of arbitrarily, randomly walking around wherever. He walks out of the far gate, so now he is going to be at the Aqua Teen's house. The reminiscent thing here for me is this kind of reminds me of an early Dr. Weird skit because he would accidentally create something and then release it onto the Aqua Teens, not on purpose, and that's what's happening exactly here with the Plutonians. So let's listen to the Plutonians' reactions. Oglethorpe will stick his head out the far gate and kind of yell for the Universal Remonster. So you'll hear the audio kind of change during that segment. There's a Universal Remonster. I want him to have a baby tea and a visor. Oh, man. <laughs> I think he went through the Stargate. It is a far gate! <laughs> From the makers of Independence Day, <laughs> they will give it a mohawk in the wheelchair if you need help. And tell the Remonster to do our bidding. Well... He's, um, he's gone. Do our bedding, little remonster! Hello? Everything. This is all digital. <laughs> so, what I love about the Plutonians versus the Moonanites is that the Plutonians always come back with these weird little gimmicks. They always have something new going on. While the Moonanites, it's typically pretty standard of what they're up to. So I appreciate that from the Plutonians. In this episode, they're just really ripping off other copyrights, which is hilarious to me, at least. Anyways, that was our time with the Plutonians for now. We're going to go into the Aqua Teens house now, and Meatwad is watching that show that we heard in the background, the whole, you know, directions show that he's learning his right and his left, and he will be going along with the video. And it's kind of weird because he basically they have two of his arms come out from underneath him, and then he leans to the left and leans to the right. It's really strange looking because... You know, whenever he walks, for example, he just rolls, but here he kind of grows legs so that he can move around. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for the discussions that had to be had for the animation department and how they would show him doing this because it's just unlike anything we've ever seen before in the show. Lean to your left. Okay. Lean to your right. Right. Lean to your left. Uh-oh. Uh-uh. That's your right. Oh, damn it. Okay. <laughs> What about you? Hey, you got it right. <laughs> All right, good. Okay, Meatwad, that's good. I never get tired of hearing that. Now, what's this over here? That's a toe. No, I mean, is it left or is it right? Well, it's a toe. And it's right over there. Think back to your song. The song, remember? What song? <laughs> what song? Meatwad doesn't know what Frylock's even talking about because he's so stupid. See how Frylock comes up? He's like, yeah, good job, Meatwad. He's trying to get Meatwad to, to point out if, if Frylock is doing his right or his left, but you heard... 
Meatwad just didn't know what was going on anymore. He has a very short attention span in this episode. We have Meatwad just thinking that Frolic is pointing at the chair because he kind of puts his arm out by the chair. And funny here that they point that out specifically because at the beginning of the episode, remember, the chair wasn't in the living room. So again, they just throw this in there whenever they need it to be in there. But yeah, yeah, uh, just a fun joke there. We finally get a little payoff of why that video was playing the whole time that this is your left, that's your left. We find out Meatwad was watching it and he was going along with it and he kind of fucked up at one point too because it's like, go to your left and he goes to his right even more. And they're like, no, that's not it, or, or, or whatever said in the episode. So funny there that the, the TV is talking back to Meatwad that he's messing up. And moving on, though, the TV is about to start changing channels inexplicably. They don't know why it's happening. And we see three separate television shows pop up. So the first one, we have two people laying in bed. What looks to be kind of a brunette woman and then a, a blonde guy with shaggy hair. They're Again, these are puppets. They're laying in bed together and... We have Meatwad saying Donna's about to tell Carlos that she has breast cancer, and we can vaguely hear as much as I possibly can listen because it's very short and very quiet. It sounds like they're speaking Spanish in this, and I believe that this is where Carlos Toretta is doing the voice acting because over on IMDb, he is credited as TV singer. And let me tell you, for the past week, I have been gaslighting myself into believing that he was doing the This Is Your Left that's your left thing. But I'm like, no way, no way in hell. That has to 100% be Dave Willis. There's no way that is not Dave Willis doing that. That can't be this Carlos Toretta guy. And I'm like, well, who is this Carlos Toretta guy? He was only in one episode of Brack Show where he did a Hispanic sounding voice. So it makes sense if this is Spanish that he is doing the voice for these puppets. He's doing the voice of the female puppet here. So he's probably just, you know, talking a little bit higher than usual. And yeah, that's his only two credits, Brack Show and this episode of Aqua Teen. So I assume he's not a professional actor or anything. They would just bring him in if they needed any sort of Hispanic kind of sounding thing. So that is the first show that pops up, just a, a telenovela, I, I suppose, something like that. Moving on to the next clip, it is a bowling show, and it's funny because in the clip we would hear Meatwad be like, wait, this is bowling, don't watch that, but a lot of history here and a lot for me to dig into. Again, check out the Dancing is Forbidden Instagram page to see behind-the-scenes footage from their shooting sessions here because they were included with the DVD, so I'll re-upload them to Instagram. But yeah, this bowling scene was filmed at Northeast Plaza Fun Bowl, which was eventually renamed Funtime Bowl, which is now actually closed. This bowling alley opened in 1958, and it temporarily closed due to the pandemic when COVID hit, but it never reopened. But there is a sibling location on Jonesboro Road in Forest Park that remains open. But yeah, the location of this was 3285 Bufford Highway, Northeast Atlanta, Georgia, and it looks like currently to the left of it is a cell phone store and to the right of it is a, I, I believe, a Mexican nutrition place. So a little bit of history of the bowling alley there. Yeah, it's still closed and unoccupied as of this recording. Funny thing, though, during this bowling clip, we do see Donna and Carlos from the previous clip in the background. They are watching the bowling. Also in the background, we have a long haired blonde female puppet which we will see in the final television show, which is a horror show, where she will be stabbed to death by some sort of evil clown-looking puppet. And we get an interesting discrepancy here because Meatwad says, quote, this dude's gonna squeeze that boy till blood comes out his eyes. But it's clearly a woman puppet that's being killed. So I assume it was a discrepancy, but of course you always have to wonder, is Meatwad just dumb? Does he not really like know what's going on here? Who knows? But yeah, Meatwad describes it as a man who's being killed, but we can see it's a long-haired woman. So that is it for the three shows that are about to pop up on the screen. Again, they don't know why it's happening quite yet. And I should note here that through the next few clips, the horror show will be the one that continues to stay on.
So that's enough setup. Let's jump in. What the hell? Oh, oh watch this. Donna's about to tell Carlos she got breast cancer. Oh, wait, 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 watch this. He needs this for the champion. Wait, this is bowling. Don't watch this. <laughs> what? Why does he keep changing channels? It don't matter. I watch anything that's on there. <laughs> oh, wait. Look at this here. This dude's gonna squeeze that boy till blood comes out of his eyes. Oh, damn. <laughs> you see that? That's a mature situation. Well, you ain't watching this. <laughs> so that's why I like turn the TV off. Back to the bowling real quick, because I, I talked more about the location than the clip that we saw. We have a kind of gingery looking puppet and he has a red bowling ball and he needs to hit a split. This is when a bowling pin is on each side of the lane. And Meatwad says he needs it for the championship. If he really does, who knows, because Meatwad could just be making that up. But looking it up, there is a way to hit those shots somewhat reliably. You know, if you're a professional bowler, then this is something that you would surely encounter and know how to approach where you will hit the one pin and then have it fly and hit the other one. Because that's the only way you can pull that off. Obviously, you can't hit two pins that are as far apart as possible with one ball. I mean, this kind of shot, I would not be able to, to make whatsoever. You know, I, I bowl maybe once every four or five years. And typically the way it goes for me is my first shot or two will actually be really good. And I'll think I'm hot shit. And then it just slowly gets worse and worse and worse until I'm just getting gutter balls by the end. So don't know what that's about. But bowling, it's a fun time. But yeah, I, I, I'm with Meatwad here. I, I wouldn't want to watch that on TV. So in our next clip here, remember, Frylock turned off the TV because Meatwad is not allowed to watch the horror movie. And then Shake will come in complaining that Frylock turned it off and then it will turn back on by itself. And we see Shake sits down in the green chair and the Universal Remonster peeks out from behind the chair. What, 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 what are you doing? Go back! Yeah! And turn it up too, all the way! Well, I, I didn't do it. Didn't stop taking credit for it! So that's that. The puppet we see, it's, it's again that scary clown looking puppet. And they're, they're shooting a day for night shot, which is when you shoot during the daytime, but you have a filter over the camera or a gel or something like that. So it makes it look like it's nighttime, but you can see it's clearly daytime because you can see all the light coming through the trees and stuff. It's just everything is a shade of dark kind of bluish purple. The reasoning for this being obviously shooting at nighttime is difficult, especially on a low budget show like this. They're just making these silly little puppet in universe shows. They're not going to spend a bunch of money on lighting and stuff. So those just slap some sort of filter on there and go in the woods and play with some puppets. Anyways, in our next clip now, basically Fralak is just turning off the TV and the Universal Remonster keeps turning it back on. And, and again, they don't know why this is happening, but we do see the Remonster peeking around all over the place. You know, he's behind the chair. He, he's above Shake's head. He's kind of peeking out behind Shake and stuff. It's really kind of silly. And it's a silliness that we don't see on this show a whole lot. I feel like the way that the Universal Remonster is kind of peeking around. But yeah, we get that back and forth, kind of giving me vibes back to episode one, Rabot, where the garage door keeps opening and closing. This is kind of similar to that. And then the clip ends with Frylock just unplugging the TV. So let's give that a listen. Let me just test something. Hey, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! It's All back, right. Right. good to go. <laughs> what are you doing? Will you knock it off? There we go. You are not to touch any button on that ever again. Yeah, that's right. You go over there. Don't touch that plug! <laughs> Alright, so yeah, you heard it. Just, just the back and forth. Not a whole lot to say about that. So in our next clip now, the Universal Remonster will reveal itself. It's going to walk out and plug the TV back in. And it's funny watching him plug the TV back in because his arm just kind of moves over the plug and it just goes right back in. This is super, super, super low budget, super simple stuff. But I appreciate it. It's kind of charming. Put him 
I a mirage? Hey, what's that though? <laughs> what? So you've been controlling the TV? Yes, because he's got good taste. And he's a cutie too. Now you're gonna go back to 37, right? Because they got the all day blood buffet going on. I don't think Meatwad needs to be watching that. What are you kidding? Babies aren't scared of this. <laughs> Bring me a baby. Approve it. So Meatwad clearly scared by this. And the, the Universal Ray Monster flips through some channels. And one of the channels we see is the famous, the infamous. The legendary campfire that we see used as the little flame effect throughout the show. That's one of the things that they scroll past. It's just that fire you can make out. But a weird thing here, though, is that it seems like they're already watching that horror movie. And then the Universal Remonster flips through back to the horror movie. It doesn't really make sense. I don't know why they had to change the channel because they were already watching the horror film. Anyways, yeah, Meatwad is scared. We're about to cut back to the Plutonian ship, though, because remember, whatever is being shown on the Aqua Teens TV is what they have to watch on the Plutonian ship. So now they have to watch the horror movie. And we see at this point the Plutonians are wearing the Spring Break Cancun shirts, but because they're all spiky, their spikes are like breaking through and ripping out of the shirts, which is a great touch. But I really want to mention here and talk about the way that I love how we are seeing the reactions from both sets of characters to this same thing. I think it's a really fun part of the episode, you know, with, with the, first of all, the left and right show that Meatwad was watching. We saw the Plutonians react to that as well. And now we're seeing the Plutonians react to the horror film after seeing how Meatwad reacted to it. And it's just so fun to see them. They're in these different locations, but reacting to the same exact thing. I suppose kind of the same way that, that you, the listener, are reacting to Aqua Teen, <laughs> uh, maybe a little differently than I am, but, but, not to get too deep into things. But yeah, this does remind me of an event that Fox had one night in 2011. I think it was the fall of 2011 called Night of the Hurricane, where in Family Guy, American Dad, and Cleveland Show, all three were new episodes and they all had a hurricane going on. It was all the same hurricane. And I really liked that. That really kind of blew my mind in terms of things that could be done. Now, this done because Seth MacFarlane heads all three shows, so and I'm sure that there's other people involved too in all three shows, that they kind of pushed this thing along and were able to do something with three separate shows, three separate families, all reacting to the same situation, but in different ways. That was so much fun. And we're kind of seeing that here, of course, you know, many years before that night of the hurricane. So let's cut to the Plutonian ship. Again, they are both wearing the Spring Break Cancun shirts and they're getting scared because there's a horror movie on the TV. Emily! Is Emily? I'm right here. Emily! <laughs> Don't sneak up on me like that! I thought you were a monster on the TV! Why are we watching this? Well, the Universal Monster probably picked it out. Uh, he's into stuff like this. He's not a monster because monsters are scary with claws and angry feet <laughs> because someone was too cheap to get them for him. Oh, so, you, so you're talking about me? Mine. I'm talking about the thing in the attic that is stalking me. Please, what do you want with that? So all over the place here with Oglethorpe, and we'll find out why in a little bit. This does kind of pay off as to why the Plutonians are extra wacky in this episode. I do want to shout out a comment by Shinsuke with a laptop over on the Dancing is Forbidden Discord. Check the link in the show notes if you'd like to get in there and talk with other fans of the podcast, fans of Aqua Teen. And yeah, Shinsuke kind of pointed out that in this clip here, Oglethorpe is freaking out saying, oh, the thing in the attic, it's stalking me. Well, four episodes later in the episode The Shaving, we do get a monster in the attic. Of course, it's the Aqua Teen's attic, not the Plutonian's, but funny that they kind of, you know, foreshadow this here. So thanks to Shinsuke for pointing that out because I, I might not have noticed that. Moving on, though, we cut back to the Aqua Teen's house 
And the Universal Re monster is treating Shake like an absolute king. He can make the the green chair recline with his remotes. He makes it start to vibrate and massage Shake's back. And he can make pretzels fly across the room over to Shake's lap. And it's just, you know, he can do all sorts of things with his remotes more than just control the TV. He can make certain things do certain functions that they weren't even designed to even do somehow. So in our upcoming clip, first of all, I want to point out that the divider between the kitchen and the living room, this time it's broken the way we're normally used to it being broken. Anyways, yeah, Shake's getting treated like a king. The Universal Remonster can dim the lights with his remotes. And then at one point he makes a, a big, I guess, just link of chains. I don't know how to describe this. It's a bunch of chains kind of together in, the, in this interesting sun-like formation. Universal Remonster sends those flying into Meatwad's room and it terrorizes him, it scares him, and we will get back to that. And I guess the only other thing I need to point out here is there's this funny little interaction where Frylock comes into the room to talk to Shake about how he needs to study the Universal Remonster, and Frylock is blocking the pretzels, the bowl of pretzels from flying in from the kitchen, and he's, oh, sorry, he moves out of the way. So let's give this clip a listen. Ah, yeah. Let's let the chair do the work. Look, Shake, I know you're getting a lot of use out of the remote, but... I need to run a few tests on Hey, you're blocking the pretzel beam. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Good landing. <laughs> this remote, I tell you, it's ugly as hell, but it freaking does everything. Shay, did you hear those chains rattling? Oh, did that frighten you? <laughs> hey, check this out. Ah, no, the chains <laughs> from my dreams. <laughs> so now that Meatwad is scared from watching the horror film, Shake is just messing with him via the Universal Remonster, which I guess, you know, somewhat a little bit makes Universal Remonster a villain in this episode because he's terrorizing Meatwad, but he's really doing it because of Shake's command. So, I mean, <laughs> it's just one of those classic kind of uh, Shake as the villain, I guess, if there is a villain in this one. Even though this one, you know, obviously it's not super villain-centric or anything like that. It's more so to do with the character interactions. From that scene, we jump back over to the Plutonian ship now, and we see Oglethorpe is about to hit Emery upside the head with a big brass lamp. It's a pretty nondescript lamp. It looks to be brass. He hits Emery in the head with it. Let's give it a listen. What? Oh, damn! <laughs> you hit me in the chin! Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were a ghoul. Well, I'm not. <laughs> but it was your own damn fault for making noises like a ghoul. Dude, I was flushing the toilet. Ghouls do that! <laughs> Friends are making brownies. Oh, um, <laughs> did you hear that? He's in the attic now. He'll kill us. Get the kitchen knife. Uh, the kitchen is in the attic. Well, great. <laughs> and he has the knife now. So I, I know I've said it so many times this episode, but just total nonsense here. They're all over the place. Oglethorpe says that Emery was making ghoul noises and Emery said, well, he just flushed the toilet. And then Oglethorpe says that's what ghouls sound like or that's what they do when they're making brownies. And I have to assume he means poop, not actual brownies here. But you never know with how wacky these scenes are. Maybe he did legitimately mean you flush the toilet when you make actual brownies. Who knows? Actually, my fiance is making some brownies right now. Excited for those. Pro tip for you. Put some cayenne pepper in those brownies. It'll taste good. It'll spice you up. But yeah, Oglethorpe and Emery just going on about the, the attic, how uh, the, the guy is in the attic who's going to kill them. He has the knife because the kitchen is in the attic, which is quite interesting. You know, you wouldn't even expect a spaceship to have an attic to begin with. But here we are. Let's continue on with this scene. We have Emery and Oglethorpe there. Again, they're just sitting here kind of watching this horror movie, psyching themselves out and getting scared. However, we're going to find out why they're acting so weird. Emery is going to pull out an empty Ziploc bag and says, let's have some more of this. And, uh, you know, we don't see anything in the bag for obvious reasons. 
This is 2003 on Cartoon Network. Uh, granted, I don't know what else they're showing on the other shows in this period. But yeah, they don't show anything in the bag. You can assume what it was. I mean, I assume it, they were uh, smoking some pot. And that's why they are acting really paranoid and crazy. But it definitely makes this episode make a little bit more sense. So let's give it a listen. Man, we've been watching too many of these scary movies, maybe. I think we should just chill out. And let's have some more of this, all right? Nine, nine, too much today. Get rid of these monster movies off the TV. Compare retinal scans. Eins, zwei, drei, go! So that is Oglethorpe trying to use the retinal scanner again to access the television to turn it off. But again, he hits the wrong button. It blows his eyeballs out. But yeah, we have Emery holding that plastic bag. He kind of shakes it and we hear a sound like there's supposed to be something inside of it. But we don't see anything. So I w again, I wonder what the story is behind that i'll have to ask anybody who worked on the show when i get to talk to them if there was the intention of having something in there and then they had to take it out or what the deal is but in retrospect it is funny that the bag is empty because it, you can maybe assume that they're not even doing anything they're just really weird i don't know it definitely opens up a lot more opportunity for speculation since the bag is just completely empty Last thing I want to mention about that, though, is that Oglethorpe is a man of restraint. He says, nine, nine, too much today. He, he doesn't want any more of that stuff, whatever was in the bag. He, he at least knows when to call it quits. But yeah, jumping into our next clip now, again, Oglethorpe blew his eyes out for a second time this episode. His, his eye sockets are smoking, but you'll hear the audio get kind of quiet. That is because we are going to cut to next to the crawl space and Frylock kind of comes up and he hears some noise coming from the crawl space because the noise, we assume, is traveling through the far gate. Damn it! I told you to label those buttons! My eyes are throbbing from the laser! Why do we put the lasers there? They're asking for trouble. What the hell? Someone's stealing our cable. So yeah, that, that's Frylock finding out. He sees the cable splitter. He sees the, the cable line going into the far gate, which again is just so hilarious that that's what they're using this for. That brings me to our uh, guest story elements credit on this episode. That is Chris, aka Casper Kelly, with some story elements on this one. Chris Kelly, he was working on Harvey Birdman around this time. He also went on to write on Stroker and Hoop. Squid Billies, and then Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, the, the latter two with Dave Willis. So Casper Kelly kind of in the mix. He also worked on actually Cat Dog back in 98. And what those additional story elements that he contributed are, I don't know, but I wonder if he just watched Stargate and was like, hey, that'd be funny if they had, in instead of, you know, monsters or whatever happens in Stargate coming through there, if they just used it to steal cable or something. Like, I have to imagine that that's maybe a story element that he told to Matt or Dave, and then they're like, hey, you know, is it okay if we make an Aqua Teen episode out of this? Now, this is all speculation on my part. Of course, I do have this written down to ask at some point, you know, what was Casper Kelly's story elements that were added to Universal Remonster, but I mean, that would make sense to me, but who knows? We'll find out eventually. Anyways, Frylock just discovered that their cable was being stolen. We cut to Meatwad's room and he is being absolutely terrorized by Shake and the Universal Remonster. I suppose a, a payback for the supermodel episode, maybe. And... We have a ton of Meatwad's toys, like Dewey Vanessa, the little English character that we talked about in Supermodel, the Neil Bohr's model from Dumber Days. We have what looks to be the Frisbee from the first Plutonian episode, Space Conflict from Beyond Pluto. And then we also have like the chainsaw from the Super Sirloin episode going across the ground. So all this stuff is animated. It's all moving around. Meatwad's getting hit by a broom. There's also a, a long sandwich that is crawling across the floor like a worm kind of creepy and somewhat a little bit of foreshadowing to the brood witch episode which we are coming up on 
But yeah, Shake is just standing there in the doorway holding the Universal Remonster, who is, his arms are going all crazy and stuff. He's controlling all this stuff. Shake's just laughing. I want to point out the Universal Remonster is now lighting up. Several of the remotes are lighting up, which we didn't really see before. So interesting here, they decided to turn on the lights on, but you know, he's working overtime. He's got a lot of stuff going. I, I believe the, the blinds are going up and down and stuff. The lights are going on and off. It's just crazy. Total madness. Let's give it a listen. I got a limb ripping, screaming on the rack, and three kind of Satan laughs. Last time I'm gonna tell you, Shake, stop doing that. I can't, and you should respect my addiction. <laughs> it's a disease. I need help, but just not right now, okay? So that is the Universal Remonster dying because it's being pushed to the limit here. It's controlling several different objects. So, understandably, its batteries ran out. And we heard Frylock come inside because he saw the cables being stolen, so he came inside, we heard the door close, and he's just kind of reprimanding Shake for this. And you know, last week we had Super Trivia, and I really liked that one because we got Frylock as more of a character than what they typically use him for, which is what they're doing here. He's just kind of reacting to everything, being angry about stuff like that, that Shake is doing. I mean, I guess we kind of get that a little bit in Super Trivia. But I just found his his character usage more interesting there. As much as I am loving this episode, and I do love this episode, it is a bummer when Frylock is just kind of the, the stick in the mud, and he doesn't contribute a ton to the plot other than things that just need to happen, I guess. It's kind of funny in Super Trivia seeing him abuse Shake and Meatwad with the Ludovico technique, forcing them to watch footage for an entire week, you know, that kind of stuff. We don't really see that here, although we do see it a little bit at the end of the episode in a way. Anyways, the Universal Remaster batteries died, and let's hear Shake's reaction to that. Oh, come on! We almost flatlined him! Come on, you stupid-ass piece of junk! <laughs> well, I guess the batteries are finally running low, huh? No, he's being lazy is what he's doing. So Meatwad rolls into the scene now, and Shake is still gonna terrorize him. I just see a ghost pass through here, cause... I'm really hoping I can that he's gone. He probably <laughs> went to the store to get some more food for his demons. Oh, is this us? You do know where the demon food store is, right? What are you talking about? It's right behind you! Oh, no! <laughs> You're in it! I'm in the store! You're in the demon produce aisle! So we can see here we got the, the dummy version of Meatwad, which is fine. You know, uh, we haven't seen that in a while, so it's good to see. In case you're not aware by that, I mean, for example, in Supermodel, we see a more devious, a smarter, an eviler Meatwad. We're not seeing that here. We're seeing the Meatwad that gets picked on by Shake, which is really similar to the Season 1 Meatwad. So again, I, I like seeing that stuff come back sometimes. So anyways, let's cut back into that clip. Meatwad runs away because he's so scared. Frolock's got something to say. I think I have an idea where that remote came from. Well, go get some more of them, will you? I'm having to improvise over here. So in our next clip, Frylock is going to be in the Plutonian ship. He's going to confront them now in this long clip. It's about a minute long. I didn't really know where to cut it up. So I'll just play the whole thing. We don't need a whole lot of setup. Just Oglethorpe pulls out the lamp that he hit Emery with earlier. He calls it the light stick. And that's about it. So let's jump into this clip where Frylock confronts the Plutonian for stealing their cable. Or some would say, cobble. Listen. It's coming from inside the house. Yeah, it is. Did you hear that? Someone just said, yeah, it is. A demon. Kandarian <laughs> demon. Do either one of you happen to know the penalty for stealing cable? Cobble? <laughs> we have technology beyond our comprehension. <laughs> Behold the light stick. 
It's not lighting, Amory. I don't know what's wrong with it. You broke it on my head, dude. Well, get the universal monster. He knows how to do it. He's dead. Impossible! The monster can only be killed by stabbing him in the heart with the ancient bone saber of Zuma Kallis. <laughs> Or probably his head and lungs too. Just stab him wherever, really. And the saber probably doesn't have to be bone. Yeah, really, just anything sharp, just lying around the house. You could poke him with the pillar and kill him. Or his batteries could have just run out. Oh no, he's dead. The monster is dead now and forever. There we go. So that clip ending with Frylock unplugging the cable from the splitter. He's cutting them off. And there's obviously a long clip, so there's kind of a lot to go through there. I like how. Oglethorpe says that we have technology beyond our comprehension. <laughs> then he pulls out a lamp like that's their big thing. It makes me wonder how they even got this spaceship or any of the gadgets inside of it because they're just complete idiots. But it's true, though. I mean, yeah, because he's like cobble. You know what? We don't need that. It's true. I mean, you know, in 2022, cable kind of on the way out here. So surprised to see that they even care about this. They don't have some sort of satellite connection, which definitely existed back in 2003. But hey, we wouldn't have an episode if that were the case. Moving on, Oglethorpe says the only way that the Universal Remonster could be killed is if you stab it in the heart with the ancient bone saber of Zumakalis. This completely made up for the show. Uh, no idea where they pulled it from, but years later, the game Diablo 3 added an item called the Ancient Bone Saber of Zumakalis. And I'm looking at the Diablo wiki right now. Diablo, a game made by Blizzard. I love Blizzard, but I've never played Diablo, actually. Always interested in it. I'm sure I'll play it at some point, especially with this Aqua Teen reference. So I'm looking at the wiki. It says, The ancient bone saber of Zumakalis is a legendary sword in Diablo 3. It requires character level 29 to drop. I can see a picture of the sword. It looks pretty cool. It looks pretty badass. And here is the description of the item in the game. A mythical weapon forged in a remote region to slay a monster of unspeakable power. The Scrimshaw markings M. Hrog Elthorpe are nearly worn away. Now, you're like, oh, Ronnie just said some words, that Emrog Elthorpe. But if, if you look at it, it basically spells out Emery Oglethorpe. It's just kind of split up and they drop a couple vowels and stuff. But yeah, the, the description basically has Emery Oglethorpe in it. So very, very, very cool here that, that the game Diablo 3, a very large you know franchise, they put this homage to Aqua Teen in the game. Just, just incredible. And it makes me glad, because I'd be actually pretty sad if nobody snatched up the ancient bone saber of Zumakalis. That's a pretty badass name, and Blizzard, they recognized it. I'm looking up just the word Zumakalis as well, and I'm not able to really find anything. I keep getting links to the Blizzard page and stuff, so it seems like they made it up for the show. The last thing I really want to mention about that last clip is I really appreciate the de-escalation from, oh no, you have to, you he can't be dead, you have to stab him in the heart with the ancient bone saber of Zumakalis, and then it's like, oh, you can stab him anywhere, really with any sharp object, and then it's like, you can kind of just hit him with a pillow and he'll die, so that's it, and then yeah, Frylock unplugs the cable, he detaches it from the splitter, let's hear the reaction of the Plutonians to this. The TV is dead! Death! We are surrounded by it! <laughs> Look, you don't need TV. It just ends up owning you. Next time you get bored, try reading a book. We have no need to read. So I'm just cutting in here now. Frelak says, why don't you just read a book? And then Oglethorpe says, we have no need to read. And then he's about to show the Fargate. It is now propped up on a wheelchair with a pink mohawk. <laughs> so just throwing back to their Powerpuff Girl ripoff. Just absolutely like the icing on the cake. It's the funniest sight. It makes no sense whatsoever. But that's what's about to happen. 
And I gotta say here, the Plutonian's giving me some ideas because, of course, I'm playing buttloads of copyrighted content on this podcast, including all the Aqua Teen clips. I'm thinking if someone comes after me, I just slap a pink mohawk on these sums of bitches. I put them on a wheelchair. I'm good as gold. I mean, it's flawless logic. So, so let's see the Plutonians do it. Behold the mohawk of eternity! <laughs> you guys are high. <laughs> oh, dude. Why, man? Are you, uh... You cool? Yes, are you cool? <laughs> I'm out of here. That is the Plutonians getting really close to Frylock. Why, man, are you cool? And I guess kind of timely here because we are quickly approaching April 20th, 420. So what a time to talk about this episode with the Plutonians apparently blazing it. An animation thing I want to point out is that we don't actually see Frylock go through the far gates. We just see him kind of like go to it and then we cut to him on the outside of it because if you look at it the far gate at this point is pretty small so it doesn't really make sense how Frylock would fit through it you know because the plutonians i'm at least oglethorpe and emery they could only fit certain body parts out of it so if you think about it, it doesn't really make sense that Frylock could fit through but i suppose he could squeeze through if he went like long ways through it so Frylock is now back in the crawl space and Oglethorpe is going to stick his head out of the Fargate. He's going to ask for some snacks and then eventually Frylock will just shove their TV into the Fargate to block it. So, so nobody can access it anymore because it's sealed off by the television. Shake's not going to like that. Let's listen to this whole crazy scene. Hey, do you have any snack cakes or corn flavored chips? I'm freaking starving here. Yeah, see if he's got some mini pizzas. Yeah, it's mini pizzas. <laughs> that would taste good to my palate. No! You know, I think I finally found a good use for the TV. You put that right back upstairs. No. <laughs> well then, you are gonna help me pull down my chair down here so I can watch it. Here. <laughs> no, I won't. Ah, uh, well. I will pee all over my pants, <laughs> and then who's gonna end up looking bad, huh? You just stay down here with your TV and f*** it then, okay? <laughs> well, maybe I will. That is a shake out of options here. He's like, well, I'll just pee all over my pants. Like, that's somehow supposed to get back at Frylock for not helping bring Shake's chair downstairs. I want to point out the visual discrepancy here in the size of the crawl space entrance. It appears to be as tall as Shake is, and Frylock can fit through it, but then when Frylock's on the outside, we have Shake kind of just sticking his face out of the crawl space talking to him. So when they're inside of it, it looks like it's just a normal door size, but when they're outside of it, it's tiny. Pretty funny there. And I see a little visual error when Frylock exits the crawl space. You can kind of see there's like a, a pixel of transparency on the right side of the screen, so you can see him kind of through the wall coming out. So the episode isn't quite over yet. I like how they do a little twist here. So Frylock has been kind of railing against TV all episode. Well, we cut to the Aqua Teens living room and they have a new flat screen plasma TV that Frylock bought. So let's listen to that and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Yep. I thought it was about time we invested in a high definition plasma screen. I thought you said TV was bad. It is. But we can need it. <laughs> so that's the end of the episode there. And the interesting thing that they did with Frylock at the end of the episode is they make him a little bit edgier. He's not really putting up with bullshit as much. He he cusses at Shake, he drops an F-bomb, and then he drops an F-bomb to Meatwell when he's saying, yeah, but we fucking need it in terms of the television. So that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier in the episode, that while Frylock is still a straight man in this one, He's still kind of the goody two-shoes. He does have an edgier side to him, at least. So, so they have some sort of other component of his character than just being a pure straight man like we've gotten in some episodes in season one. Real quick to describe the TV that Frylock picked up. It's really smooth. It looks really futuristic in a way. It doesn't really look real. It's clearly, I mean, obviously the stuff in the background are drawings, 
but this doesn't really fit in as much i think as like their old tv did it, it looked more of that art style this clearly of a little bit different art style but yeah this is the fancy new plasma screen that frylock picked up and to my knowledge, this TV never actually comes back. I know for a fact in the next episode, Total Recall, they have the old TV again. So just, you know, for the, for the expense of the joke that even though Frylock didn't like TV all episode, he knows that they need it. They can't get by without it. So all right, that is Universal Remonster. Actually, our last episode of the Volume 2 box set. From there, everything we're going to be covering is on the Volume 3 box set, which of course, Volumes 2 and 3 make up Season 2. But yeah, we've covered the first full box set that I owned as a kid, the Volume 2 one. But the thing to point out is in the airing history, back in 2003, it's just a week later until Total Recall comes out, which was on the Volume 3 box set. So they weren't split up airing-wise. So again, it's all one big season, just kind of split up logistically into two box sets because there were so many episodes and so much extra footage they had to include. But yeah, that's, uh, that's Volume 2 disc down we we have gone through two volumes of uh, aqua teen releases so far so let's jump over to the anime superhero forums and see what kind of discussion was going on the night that this episode premiered our buddy landstander comes in and says this a plus after last week i was worried aqua teen hunger force had fallen to the level of mediocre at the beginning of this episode i was worried emery and oglethorpe wouldn't be funny again I was wrong on both accounts. Very wrong. Very in all caps. So that's Landstander. Proven wrong. Aqua Teen still got it and only getting better. Landstander here didn't really care too much for Super Trivia, but Universal Remonster brought him back on board, it sounds like. Moving on, Sko Joe had this to say. This was the funniest Aqua Teen Hunger Force I've seen in a while. For the first time, the stupid invaders from beyond Pluto almost rival the antics of the Moonanites. I give this episode an A. Interesting here, because at this point in the show's run, the Plutonians have more screen time now than the Moon Knights do, because they were only really in two season one episodes, and now we have the Plutonians in three episodes total, two in season one, and then one now in season two. Again, the Moon Knights did show up at the end of Supercomputer, but that was just very, very brief cameo, really, so... Yeah, we've had more Plutonians than Moonanites at this point, but uh, people still like the Moonanites. There's a comment here by Mibitmaker, which I'm not going to read, but basically they're uh, going on a tirade here. They're kind of freaking out, saying, you know, if if you, the Aqua Teen writers, hate TV so much, then why are you on TV? All this kind of stuff. Uh, but they like the episode. I'm not going to read the whole comment, though. It's really quite long. There's actually four pages of discussion on this week's episode. Lots going on here. Overall, kind of split. You know, a lot of people thought it was decent. A lot of people liked it. But then there's some people who are like, oh, I want the Moonanites instead. I don't like the Plutonians, that kind of thing. We'll end our discussion here with uh, Mori Surf 8's comment on September 29th, 2003. I had a terrible day today. So when I got home from school, I popped in my tape of last night's Aqua Teen Hunger Force and was greeted with the best episode of the season so far. It made my day. Universal Remonster was laugh-out-loud hilarious. The Dr. Weird opening, Emery and Oglethorpe, the Fargate, how to kill the Universal Remonster, and of course, the final line was greatness. I'd list some of my favorite parts in the episode, but it was all gold. Pure gold. This was an especially good episode since I found the Meat Zone and Super Trivia to be a bit subpar. Don't get me wrong, they were solid B-slash-B-plus episodes, but I guess I expected more. Well, I got more with Universal Remonster. 
The best new episode so far, and in my opinion, one of the best in the entire series. My grade, A+. So that's it. Again, there's more discussion here, so check the show notes if you want to read all four pages in this thread on Universal Remonster back in 2003. Again, overall, people liked it, but there were some people who didn't, which is it's always interesting to see those. So, what are my thoughts on Universal Remonster? I like this one more than I remember liking it, really. I remember liking it well enough, but not really remembering the Plutonian aspect of it when I watched it when I was a kid. I remember the Universal Remonster. I remember Meatwad getting messed with. I remember Meatwad watching his video, but I don't remember any of the Plutonian stuff besides maybe the Powerpuff Girl in the, in the wheelchair. But watching back now, I, I just really loved it. it it's just... Almost shocking to see how much more I respond to the Plutonians now as an adult than I did as a kid. Also, something I really want to touch on here is, I know I hammered through it a lot, but I was pretty disappointed by the Super Sirloin episode because of how similar it was to the MCP Pants episode. But this is just, you know, a complete shift from that. This is Matt and Dave showing that they can bring back popular characters in a completely new way. Because the first two Plutonian appearances back in season one, they were basically messing with Master Shake in some way. They were kidnapping him in both of those episodes. But in this episode, their third appearance, there's no such thing. They don't even encounter Shake at all. They don't interact with him whatsoever. The only interaction there is Shake getting a hold of the Universal Remonster, but he loves the thing. The thing treats him like a king. So it's just totally different here. It's more of a uh, Frylock interaction. Meatwad doesn't interact with them either outside of the Universal Remonster. So it's just a really interesting way to bring these characters back, but in a way that feels natural. It doesn't feel like, oh, this is strange. Why are the Plutonians doing this? It totally makes sense. And they're even dumber here too, which, which is funnier. And of course, we find out that they're, they're high on something so that explains why they're even kookier here than we're used to seeing them and as i touched on in the episode i just really love the conversational nature that the plutonians bring to aqua Teen. they bring this conversational almost improv humor to the show so anytime that they're there i'm just happy about it so i gotta give this one four and a half powerpuff girls out of five I really, really like this one. I don't think it's still one of my favorites, my, like my top tier episodes, but it's definitely a great episode. All of the copyright infringement stuff, the uh, just, just the mohawk in the wheelchair as a means to avoid copyright infringement, supposedly. The, the Fargate being used to steal cable, of all things. It's just really fun. And again, it just really shows that with Aqua Teen, when characters come back, they're not necessarily just going to be ripoffs of their season one episodes like we saw with Super Sirloin. We see that characters can come back and they can be up to some crazy new shenanigans. But all right, that's it for me. I don't want to devolve here. I'm really tempted to go back and just say every joke I th that I thought was funny in the episode. I'm not going to do that. So thank you for hanging out. Thank you for talking teens with me. Just a heads up that next week, we probably won't have a normal deep dive. Basically, I'm getting married in June, so I have a bunch of friends coming up, and my fiance and I are having our joint bachelor-bachelorette party next week. So, you know, chances of me actually getting an episode done are slim, and I don't want to, like, super stress myself out and get it done just to get it done and not have it be good. So I'm just going to kind of leave it open. I'll put something out that day. I have a few ideas because, again, this was our last episode of the Volume 2 box set. 
So there's a few things that we can do there. Just want to say it. And if we do, if we don't do Total Recall next week, then we will skip the community jiggle this month and just put it out in that spot. You'll still be getting your three episodes this month like normal, just a little bit more spread out. So apologies on that. You know, my initial plan actually was to not do Total Recall this month just because of the Volume 2 disc ending on Universal Remonster. But then, like I said earlier, I looked into the airing order and they just, they did air back to back, you know, between two weeks. So I was like, eh, I'll just do it. Why not? But in retrospect, if I had planned a little bit better, I would have seen that, oh shit, I'm going to be hyper busy this coming week. So chances of that getting done are very slim. So I wanted to let you know now, apologies in advance, but I will have something up, something Aqua Teen related. So, all right, again, thank you to our Patreon supporters for making the Carrie Means cameo possible. Special shout out to Sean, Ian, Josh, Keenan, Hope to Dope, Captain Buford, and Brian. You guys can steal my cable any day of the week. <laughs>